It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual Hey, Crow Coven. What's up, spooky, scary skeletons? Wow. I didn't come up with that. I can't take credit. It's that song. Yeah. I'm gonna get us sued. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay because I think it's like it's a certain number of seconds. It's a thing. Yeah. Welcome to Cruel and Unusual the Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Tori. <laughs> we still um, don't know what to say after that. No. What do we say? How do you how do you segue into such a brilliant conversation groundbreaking groundbreaking inspirational perfect out of this world (laughs) (laughs) okay you know what katie yes no what you don't know much no and you certainly don't know this actually you do because i told you i had a very this is the worst time i've had yeah while researching Uh, yeah you were telling me since we started yeah I think it's because I know I'm ever going to become a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Like, I just know I won't. But ever since I was a little kid, I've always had this fear of becoming possessed. Yeah. It's always been a very real, mm-hmm. terrifying, horrifying fear. And as I'm researching, mm-hmm. I find myself like looking over my shoulder <laughs> and thinking I see something in the corner of my oh, eye no. and like feeling like, oh my God, there's a knife over there. Am I going to just grab it and go crazy? You know well, what I mean? Because of the possession. Hypochondriac <sighs> with anxiety. Yeah. It's not a good combo. No. no. And then researching about dun, 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 yeah. possession. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a, it's been a toughie. That'll do it. Let me tell you. That'll do it. Mm. I've got anxiety. I have a different kind of anxiety, I think. Yeah. Than you do. Yeah. Still very bad. Just in a different way. I don't, bad in a yeah, different way. Yeah. I don't like listen and, and watch things and think they're going to happen to me though. I do. I know you do. And I think it's basically because like, if okay, if something happened to someone else, it can happen to me. Mm-hmm. And if the worst, worst has happened the thing. That's <laughs> to the thing. me. You're not afraid to get in the car. Right. And, you right. know, mess with the radio and shit. Right. That fucking will bring me to my knees. Yeah. Because I feel like I have so much. And, and it's not. I don't. Because but I, I know feel like people I have that have control. died in car accidents. I don't know anyone that's gotten possessed. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what and I mean? I, I have this like very false sense of control when it comes to driving. Yeah. Like I'm, I know that someone could come out of nowhere and just fucking yeah, you take know me that. out. But like, I feel like. I could, I could avoid it. I could get out of the way. I know I can't. Right. I know that's, mm-hmm. it happens in a split second. Yeah. But in my mind, I have a false sense of control. Mm-hmm. I don't have a false sense of control over if I get possessed. Right. And see, I don't believe in it. Right. So it doesn't scare right. me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. If I, I won't, I'm going to say I won't say that I believe in it until I see it. And this is what's funny. I was actually thinking about this when I was taking a pee earlier. You... And I are different in this way Mm -hmm. because you don't believe in something unless you see it. Mm -hmm. I almost always believe in something until I'm given a reason not to. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I will take anything and be like, yes, that's, yep. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Until like it's proven wrong. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I'm, I'm a skeptic right off the bat with right. anything that you tell me. Right. I don't believe anybody ever. Right. So yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're total opposites in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So that leads us to tell you that we're, I mean, you know, now that we're mm-hmm. talking about fucking possession and I will never be right again. Yeah. I have a Halloween headline. Ooh. Would you like to hear it? No. It's from Esquire.com. It's titled, A Deadly Exorcism. I figured since we're talking about exorcisms today. Very fitting. Good job. Quote, in August 2016 in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. Oh, no. I get strange and aggressive when there's a pain, too. Me, too. He reportedly bit his father, threatened to cut off his own penis, and complained of a python or snake inside of him before his family restrained him to a bed with cable ties and excessive force. I feel like it escalated incredibly quickly. The BBC reported the family then set about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother, Colin Ife, told police, quote, it's clear that thing was in him. What we believed was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people in our family. Kennedy Ife had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention when his brother called emergency services. My God. Yeah, explaining that Kennedy Ife was complaining of dehydration. Well, no shit. Yeah three days strapped to a bed. He appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 10.17 a.m. The Independent reported, while police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. All seven of Kennedy Ife's family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy Ife's body. And his father, Kenneth Ife, along with four of his brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported Kennedy Ife told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force but denied that an association with cults, occults, and secret societies played any part in the death. After a four-day jury deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of all charges on March 14th, 2019. Wilds. I feel like they were they were in some they were into something they shouldn't have been into. I don't know what happened, but fucking of course he's gonna complain of dehydration yeah i feel like they should have gotten at least manslaughter something they fucking strapped into the bed and didn't take him anywhere or didn't bring anybody in right why wouldn't you i why, don't know why? i feel like they were into some sort of stuff maybe they, he, shouldn't they, have they were di- they were they were dibble dabbling they were dibble dabbling in some in some some dabble yeah stuff yeah, yeah. You have a headline for me? I do. Mine's a little bit more uplifting and positive. Well, good. I'm glad. (laughs) We need a little bit of fucking positivity around here because these past two episodes, I tell you. Mm -hmm. Mine is from cbc.ca. Wow. (laughs) Sock and coffee. (laughs) Mine's get it. Is. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Quote. Toronto police identify killer in cold case of nine-year-old Christine Jessup, Mm. end quote. 
I love it when they get a fucking fucker from a cold case. Me too, because fuck you. Fuck you thought fuckers you, up, motherfucker. Did you think you thought you were going to get away with it, motherfucker? But wrong. guess what? Burn in hell, Rot. bitch. So the article says, sources say killer of a nine-year-old Ontario girl in 1984 died by suicide in 2015. Toronto police have identified the killer of nine-year-old Christine Jessup, who was abducted from Queensville, Ontario, before being raped and killed in 1984, mm. a case that resulted in the years-long wrongful conviction of Guy Paul Morin. Sources say Calvin Hoover, a Toronto man who was 28 years old at the time of Jessup's death, died by suicide. Police did not confirm the cause of death at a news conference on Thursday, saying only that Hoover died in 2015 and that there was no foul play. Jessup was last seen on October 3rd of 1984. Her body was found about three months later in a wooded area of Sunderland, Ontario, about 56 kilometers from her rural home on December 31st of 1984. Investigators say that Jessup was stabbed to death. Speaking to reporters, Interim Chief James Rammer said that on October 9th, 2020, police identified through DNA analysis the person whose semen was found in Jessup's underwear. Christine was described as a girl who loved life, her family, school, and sports, Rahmer said Thursday. During the frantic search for the young girl, he said her face was on every television set and in every newspaper. There are no winners in this announcement, said Rahmer, adding the development is instead a step forward to bring justice to Jessup's family. Rahmer said Hoover and his wife had a neighbor-acquaintance relationship to the family at the time, and that Hoover may have worked with Jessup's father. Mm. The interim police chief said Hoover did have a dated criminal record, but said it had no significance for the Jessup investigation and that Hoover had not previously been identified as a suspect. Police are appealing for the public's help in filling in the timeline of Hoover's life from 1984 to 2015. And it goes on and on and on and on. But mm -hmm. I'll, I'll definitely make sure we link it just in case anyone possibly knows anything about this. Mm -hmm. But it is important to know that... Hoover was identified because a DNA sample taken from evidence and sent to a lab in the U.S. that uses DNA technology that is not widely available to identify genetic markers eventually turned up Hoover's name through a process involving genetic genealogy. Yes. Just another fucking yes. hoorah. Love that shit. For this shit. Like, I can't even. It, this was such a fucking breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Such a for breakthrough. Real? So, at least we have someone's name cleared, mm -hmm. and the other bastard is dead, Yeah, right? But right. at least the family is one step closer to, like, piecing together things. Right. And that poor little baby. I know. And like it said, it, no one's a winner, you know? No. But why should that guy have gone down with a good name when he did something like that? Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. He was, what was he, 28 or 29? I don't give a fuck. He's a piece of shit. But 28 or 29... Mm -hmm. She was a nine-year-old baby. I hate I, what people. What a messed up motherfucker. <sighs> <sighs> okay. But, you guys, it only goes downhill from here. <laughs> Let me tell you. Are you ready for your QOTTW, Tori? Uh, I'm ready. Are you ready? I guess. This is from Craig. I think you said it came from Twitter. Yes. Hey, Craig. The question is, you are in a horror movie. Ooh. Are you the final girl? The first to die? The comic relief, the skeptic, the smart one, or the killer? I feel like I would be the comic relief for sure. This is a really good question. Yeah. I would just be there for the fucking shits and giggles until I get slashed. Right. I think I would be 
I think I would be the skeptic. Oh, for sure like you I said, would. I'm a skeptic of everything. Yeah. But I would also be the killer. Not the killer killing everybody, but the person who kills the killer. The killer killer. I would love to be. So I guess yeah. that's like a final girl, but I probably wouldn't actually last that long. No. I see. <laughs> to the, be quite honest. The thing is, I would get tired of running around. Exactly. I would be huffing and There's puffing no and falling down. way I could run through the woods for that long. <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, my I would God. need a few breaks. And I, wouldn't, I would just probably turn around and be like, fucking take me. <laughs> Please. I'm ready. Take the year's been shit. Just, it's fine. It's fine. And then he probably wouldn't want to anymore. You're, this is this is the fucking cherry on top. Yeah. Great. Let me tell you. Great. No, but yeah, I feel like I would definitely be the comic relief because it would ju- I would just be mm-hmm. there for the laughs. Mm-hmm. Let me, And I'd probably right. be the one who would be like, oh, fuck, and then die. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it would be <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, that's the one I would be. Yeah. Tanner's always, whenever we watch a scary movie, and you know, like when they go into the basement, when you know they shouldn't, or when oh, they, yes. do, you know, like yes, you're just sitting there thinking, don't do it, don't do it, and he gets fucking irate. He's like, why are they doing that? I'm like, Tanner, because there that's there in, wouldn't be a yeah. movie if they didn't do it. That's in the script, Tannerino. <laughs> I actually have a friend who is like that, and mm-hmm. she will like get like unbelievably mad and she'll be yeah. like, she okay, you know, when you go to a movie theater, I mean, it's 2020, so no one does it anymore, but. In 2019, yeah. you know, when you would go to a movie theater <laughs> mm-hmm. and you would have that one fucking asshole down in front yeah. who would speak the whole time. Mm-hmm. Somebody would do something like, no, don't do that. That's yeah. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, what, then what do they do? It's then so does it funny. turn into like a romance comedy right. because they didn't die? Right. And they didn't go into the basement? Who wants that? There wouldn't be a story. No one. <laughs> Not me. But yeah, so Craig... Yours truly would be the comic relief, mm-hmm. and Katie would be the skeptic for and sure. the killer killer. For sure. Thanks for your question. Thank you for interacting with me on Twitter. I've been trying to be a little bit more tweety lately. Yeah. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job. So as you know, we're talking about some exorcisms today. That we are. And I think you know what I'm doing, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. You told me, we always kind of like talk about a little bit about what we're doing. So we don't do the same one. Right. And I have no, I know nothing about this case. Some people might know it. You'll find out why at the end, why some people might know it, but I don't want to ruin the surprise for you. Okay. It's a really good surprise for you specifically. For me specifically? (gasps) It's a surprise you might hate. I didn't say it was a good one. Oh. (laughs) But it's for you. All right, fine. All right. Now I'm not excited anymore. (laughs) Might as well fucking ruin it. But you're still curious. Yeah, I am curious. This is the 200 Demons House. Oh, God. That sounds like an awful house to be in. It's the scariest thing to come out of Indiana since Mike Pence. <laughs> so let's hear about it. Yeah, this one's kind of controversial because it's recent. I feel like people these days are a lot more likely to write these things off because we know so much more now about like mental health and science and the older exorcism stories, like since they were so long ago, information gets, you know, it gets passed on and passed on like a game of telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Embellished. Yeah. And people back then, I feel, were much more inclined to believe these sorts of things right we just didn't know even half of what mm-hmm. we know now yeah yeah especially like with the rise of spiritualism and and all that stuff satanic panic right well and i mean like 
having PMS could get you sent to an insane asylum. Exactly. You know what I mean? They having just, a fucking thought or yeah. a feeling as a woman uh-huh. would get huh. you shipped off. Can't fucking do that. <laughs> Scrub the floors. Yeah. What yeah. do you mean you have a thought in your brain? Uh-huh. <laughs> but you can be the judge when it comes to the Ammons family possessions. I will be the judge. All right. Tell me about it. In November of 2011, LaToya Ammons moved into a house at 2860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana, with her mom, Rosa Campbell, and her three children, who were 7, 9, and 12 at the time. The children's names have not been made public. Okay, that's good. I don't have them in here. The main floor of the house had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. A door in the kitchen led to a basement with concrete floors. Just so you know, that's kind of like a little bit of the layout. Got it. Whoops, I scrolled all the way to the fucking bottom. You do that quite often. So they moved in there. Everything seemed fine until December rolled around, and big black flies started swarming the inside of their screened-in porch out of nowhere. Hmm. Now, we're not far from Gary, Indiana. We don't have flies in December. No, Not we really. sure don't. No, no. They're, they're dead. Usually yeah. at 32 degrees, they're right. dead. They can't survive it. I actually looked up the weather in Gary, Indiana <laughs> in December 2011. At like 3 in the I morning. Am. Yep, that's, that's <laughs> what I do. And the average high was 35 degrees that month. Ugh. So very slightly above freezing. And the lows at night are obviously a lot lower. You don't um, say. Get it? Because they're lows. Ah. <laughs> the but here, <laughs> I mean, I could see like a fly or two, but like swarming, swarming. in hordes. Well, you know? I, I learned something else too. So okay. the warmest day they had that month was 56 degrees. But I also found myself on a pest control website. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. That said. Certain you dug t- deep. I did. Certain types of flies, like cluster flies, they do lay eggs in warm places in the fall. And those flies who laid the eggs, they die in the cold, but the eggs hatch all fucking winter long. Oh. So it, that could have been the case. They, so there was like a bunch of eggs ready to burst. They, we, we don't know, but that it's possible. Oh, yeah. okay, it's possible that they got into the um the screened-in porch and thought it was a good place to okay, fucking skeptic. lay okay. their babies. Yes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that you really dug real fucking deep in order to I be able to be to a skeptic know if, about that. Well, I didn't want to come in here and be like, there's no fucking flies in December. <laughs> it's not possible. When well, it see, is. that's what I would have done. You know what I mean? I would have just been like, yeah, they're dead in December. Right. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, okay. Not the baby one. No. The baby ones are fucking hatching and flying and swarming and hoarding. It also could have been something more... There are a lot of passages about flies in the Bible. Really? Mm -hmm. Would have never known. I'm pretty sure it was God that told Moses he was going to send swarms of flies all over Egypt and like inside of their houses and shit if the pharaoh didn't let let his people go let my Yeah, so that was God. That was God. Like, I don't know. Pastor Mom... Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, I'm pretty sure can. he told Moses to, to, to say that God's going to fucking send swarms of flies and frogs and shit. Frogs? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you remember that? I don't Where were you? Ro- not Your listening. mom's a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask her. She'll be so mm-hmm. happy if I bring it up. I looked, I looked up the verse. Yeah. It's from, what is it from? Exodus? Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. I told you about this. Yeah. Um, but there's also Beelzebub, the demon, Lord of the yes. Flies. 
Yes. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Regardless, there were flies in the Ammon's house. They kept okay. killing them over and over. They kept coming back over and over. <gasps> yeah. They kept coming back. According to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yep. maybe then we can kind of squash the... It was just a few little babies. Yeah, I don't know. Because how many baby eggs can you lay? I mean, lay? they breed like fucking crazy, don't well, they? Well, yeah. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. See? Now we're going to find ourselves, and by us, I mean you, mm-hmm. are going to be going down a rabbit hole of how often flies breed and when they can start breeding you're and lucky what age. I, You're lucky I didn't, to be <laughs> honest. Okay. So other strange things started happening, too. After midnight, the family often heard heavy footsteps clomping up the basement stairs. And the distinct creaking noise that the basement door made when it opened. Ooh, I hate that. So they'd that. be laying in bed. They'd hear someone coming up the basement stairs. Mm-mm. They'd hear nope. that door. I had. I just got the chills. Mm-hmm. Latoya or Rosa would go check things out, but no one was ever there. So they began to lock that basement door and keep it locked. The noises kept happening. Rosa could see into the living room from her bedroom. Ooh, that's another thing I don't like. Yeah. I don't like to be able to, like, see out into somewhere Mm -mm. because I feel like I'm going to see something. Yeah. Like, just shut my fucking door and leave me alone. You should sleep with your doors closed, everybody. Yeah. And your kids' doors closed. Yeah. And everything for fires. So one night, Rosa was laying in bed and she was startled out of a deep sleep for some unknown reason. When she sat up, she saw a big, dark, shadowy figure pacing the living room. When she went out there to see what was going on, no one was there. But she did see big, wet boot prints Mm -hmm. on the floor. This is when they started to actually become afraid instead of just kind of creeped out. Because I feel, I mean, uh, this is me, the skeptic. A lot of times noises can be explained away, especially in a new house when you're not used to the noises that that the house makes. You know what I mean? Every house makes noises. And after a while, you get used to them. And you find you figure out what they are, where right. they're coming from. Right. But after that whole thing, actually seeing like some sort of entity, they kind of got freaked the fuck out. Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So one night around two in the morning, the whole family was actually awake, kids and all, because a relative had just died. Aww. So it was already an awful night. And it seems to me like they had just gotten the news or they got the news late that night and were still up, you know, trying to process what happened and grieving and apparently there was a small group of friends over and suddenly they heard one of the children scream out mama mama they knew that latoya's 12 year old daughter was in rose's room and she was in there with a friend the friend was going to stay over when they ran in there to see what was going on they found the 12 year old girl levitating above the bed unconscious i'm sorry Mm -hmm. (laughs) um that's not quite normal (laughs) goodbye bye (laughs) i am checking out Mm -hmm. Latoya said that at that point, several of the friends who were there, they came into the bedroom to see what was happening, and they all began to pray. Naturally. Yeah, I, that wouldn't be my first, like, instinct. I'd but, freak I mean, the fuck out and do leave. Do your thing. But... Do your thing. Yeah. I'd try to, like, I mean, if it was my kid, yeah, I'd try to get her down. If it was someone else's kid, I'd probably leave. <laughs> Is that terrible? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd get the fuck out of there yeah. if it wasn't mine. Okay, if my kid levitates, will you help me? Yeah, of and course. And not leave? Yeah. Okay. Your kids don't count. My kids don't levitate. No. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen your children. Not levitate. that I know of. <laughs> they probably write in their diary about it. Yeah. All right. So they began praying, and a few moments later, the girl fell back down onto the bed, and she had no memory of what had happened. I don't think you normally do remember probably when you levitate. Not, I've no. never remembered when I levitate. No, but at this, yeah, <laughs> I just accepted it. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> but the friends who were visiting, they refused to ever come back to the house. I mean... I, I cannot say that I, I blame them. Yeah, I don't blame them. So Rosa, Grandma, she told LaToya, like, we need help with whatever this is. It was affecting the kids now, and since they believed it was something supernatural, they just didn't know how to deal with it on their own. So they called around to different churches in the area, but they didn't get very far. Most of them just didn't want to listen or they didn't believe them. And then finally, they were able to get a little bit of info out of the officials from the very last church that they contacted. They told LaToya and Rosa, yeah, your house has spirits in it. And what you need to do is thoroughly clean the house with bleach and ammonia and then draw crosses on each of the doors and windows with oil. Bleach does kill everything, it says. I mean, the church also suggested that LaToya pour olive oil on the children's hands and feet and mark their foreheads with oil in the sign of the cross. God. So LaToya went along with this because it, she was Christian. Yeah. They were a Christian family. And it, she probably just like anything. It, yeah. I will do whatever it takes. Yeah. And it made sense to her. Yeah. You know, like, okay, this is what we do. This is how we solve this. Right. Now, I've been an atheist since I was like seven. Mm-hmm. I... Like I said, I, I'm not going to say that I believe in ghosts and demons until I experience one, which I hope that I don't. But if this was happening to me, the first thing in my mind would be like, what the fuck is oil right. going to do right. <laughs> for me? Please explain. I, I, oil. <laughs> yes, I would like oil. a little bit of a... Of Olive like, oil from the shelf at Walmart. Background. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why does it... Why does this help? Yeah, like, sir, she was levitating. Right. I think that's beyond oil's power. Right. To be, I, I don't know. Some fucking olive that's oil from like aisle four. what I was thinking when I read that. I don't know. Now, around this time, LaToya also reportedly got a hold of a clairvoyant. The clairvoyant told LaToya the best thing that she could do for her family and her kids was to move. They told LaToya that her house was besieged with 200 demons. Now, LaToya's a single mom with three kids. She couldn't just up and move. It's expensive. Well, Moving and they had just moved. Expensive, yeah. You know? It was not, it just wasn't an option. So since the family couldn't move, the clairvoyant told LaToya that she needed to make an altar in the basement and burn sage and sulfur all throughout the house, starting from the upstairs and working her way down. Wouldn't you want to start from the downstairs and work your way up to get them out? I mean, I don't know Instead how that works. Instead of trapping them all in the basement? You, you, That's how my mind works. I didn't think of that, but... That makes sense. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, you're kind of, like, ushering them all downstairs. Right, right. Like, let's get them out. But LaToya did that. She and one of her friends, they set up a small table in the basement. They covered it with a white sheet. They set statues of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph on top, along with a white candle. The two put on white t-shirts and wrapped their heads with white scarves. And as they slowly moved throughout the house, burning the sage and the sulfur, they read from the Bible, Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. After they did this, things calmed down for three days. Oh no. Then things got so much worse. Latoya and Rosa said that the demons possessed them all, even the children, but not Rosa. Rosa said she was born with protection. She had a guardian angel. Like, that must be nice. Yeah, right. But How the, do you get one of those? I know. She was born with it. But the kids, their eyes would bulge out. Their voices would get really deep. Big, evil smiles would no. spread across their faces. They would talk about morbid things to no one that adults could see. 
The seven-year-old boy once sat inside of a dark closet having a one-sided conversation. That's not really that weird for a seven-year-old. Just throwing that out there. Kids fucking scare me enough on their own, <laughs> let alone I mean, being The rest possessed. of the stuff is nuts, but sitting in a closet talking to yourself is no. not crazy for a seven-year-old. And then the other son, the nine-year-old, began describing to his mom and grandma what it felt like to be murdered. Yeah, that's not so normal, I don't think. No. The seven-year-old was thrown violently from the bathroom by no one. Oh, no. Yeah. A headboard rammed itself into the 12-year-old girl so hard that she needed stitches. She would later tell doctors that she often felt like she was being held down and choked so forcefully that she couldn't move or speak. And one time she heard a voice tell her that she would never see her family again and that she would not be alive for another 20 minutes. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. Latoya said that when she was being possessed, she would feel warm. Her body would shake. She'd get lightheaded and lose control of herself. Sometimes things would get so bad inside of the house that Latoya and Rosa would pack the kids up and go stay at a hotel. I don't, yeah, I could But she can't do that all the time. When, well, not a single mother no, of three. No, they probably did it when they could, but right. then they they had to endure it. And the how other awful would that be to mm-hmm. feel so trapped? Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? When you think you're having a fresh start. And, right. You know. And mm-hmm. you're, oh God, I hate that for yeah. them. The churches wouldn't or couldn't help them. The clairvoyance advice seemed to make things worse. Clearly. So LaToya, without any other options, finally spoke to a family doctor, and she told him what was going on at the house. The doctor actually ended up visiting the house a few times. He later told the Indy Star newspaper, quote, 20 years and I've never heard anything like that in my life. I was scared myself when I walked into the room, uh. end quote. Now, because of patient-doctor confidentiality and the law, not much is known about what the doctor said or thought. But in his notes about the case, the doctor wrote the words, quote, delusions of ghost in home, hallucinations, delusions, history of ghost in home. So hmm. that really doesn't tell you much. No. I mean, besides he thought maybe they were delusional, mm-hmm. but also history of ghost in home. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't right. know. So... After the doctor got involved, things just became chaotic, even more chaotic. During a visit, and this is all detailed in a DCS report, during one of the doctor's visits to the home, the two little boys allegedly cursed the doctor in deep demonic voices. They just, like, lost it on this doctor. A medical staff member said the seven-year-old was, quote, lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. The two boys lost consciousness and they couldn't be roused. And while Rosa and Latoya were holding them, like freaking out, wondering what the fuck just happened, someone called 911. The house was swarmed with police officers and ambulances and the boys were taken to Methodist Hospital in Gary. So yeah, things got fucking wild when that doctor got there and yeah. they fucking they freaked out and the then they passed there. out. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, ma'am. So once Latoya got to the hospital... She said the staff laughed at her when she told them she wanted to anoint the boys' heads with oil, and she wasn't allowed to see them or talk to them. But a while after they got there, the boys woke up. The nine-year-old seemed to be, like, fine, given the circumstances. He was acting relatively normal, like his normal self, but things were different with the seven-year-old. He woke up screaming and thrashing, out of control, and it took five men to hold him down. A seven-year-old little boy. Okay. Five men. Mm -hmm. This is when DCS was called. Someone, which 
I'm assuming it was someone from the doctor's office. They yeah. called DCS, or the hospital. They called DCS, asking them to investigate what in the ever-living fuck was going on inside of that home. They wanted to cover their bases because, obviously, this wasn't normal. Sure. They wanted to make sure LaToya wasn't abusing the kids because a lot of professionals who were now involved seemed to think that LaToya was forcing the kids to perform. So it's not unheard of. Yeah, you no, know? God, no. They, I mean, they had to investigate. What do you do? So Valerie Washington was the case manager assigned to the Ammons family. And here are a few things that she reported. LaToya and her family were examined at the hospital, and they were found to be healthy with no marks or bruises or anything like that on their bodies. A psychiatrist at the hospital found LaToya to be of sound mind. Valerie interviewed the family members at the hospital, and she reported that the seven-year-old boy would growl, bare his teeth, and his eyes would roll back to the back of his head when she tried to talk to him. She also reported that the seven-year-old reached over and wrapped his hands around his brother's neck, choking him tightly, and he wouldn't let go until staff came and pried his hands off. Valerie decided to interview the boys with Rosa, the grandma, present, and a nurse in a private exam room, and she reported that the seven-year-old looked dead into his brother's eyes and growled, I will kill you. It's time to die. The older brother began headbutting the seven-year-old violently in the stomach, and Rosa got up and grabbed their hands and began to pray. That didn't fucking do shit because the seven-year-old, and this is in Valerie's original DCS report, like this was in the report, a weird grin, quote-unquote weird grin, spread across the seven-year-old's face, and he got up and walked backwards up the wall to the ceiling. He flipped over his grandma Rosa and landed on his feet. According to Valerie's report, he was holding his grandma's hand the entire time. Yeah. What? I don't know. I have the chills again. Mm-hmm. Because why would she write that? Yeah, in her why official would she write report. That? Why would what's she could the lose point? her license? Yeah. This, fuck, yeah, fuck, yeah, fuck, yeah. Fuck. This terrified Valerie, and she later told police that she got up and ran out of the room, and the nurse followed her. Where's Valerie now? Valerie, is she okay? She's fine. She's fine. Nobody dies in this story. Okay. But I would like to talk with her a little. I know. She doesn't want to be from, I don't think she wants to be involved anymore. (sighs) But she later told the Indie Star, quote, we didn't know what was going on. That was crazy. I was like, everybody got to go, end quote. Yeah. Everybody got to (laughs) go. I got to fucking go. We got to go. (laughs) I'm sorry. We're not doing that. I (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't. Like, I'm I'm seeing it in my head. Mm-hmm. So, according to Valerie's report, she and the nurse told a doctor what happened in that room. The doctor was like... The doctor didn't believe them. Of course, because he's a and, doctor. And the doctor asked the boy to do it again. You know, like, prove it. The nurse that was in the room when it happened, the nurse that was in there with Valerie, he told the doctor that he didn't think the boy would be able to do that again. He said, this kid was not himself when he did that. The seven-year-old said he didn't remember what happened and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it again, according to Washington's report. The nurse said that he did believe in spirits and demons and he thought the boy's behavior had, quote, some demonic spirit to it, but he said it was also the result of a mental illness. So, a police report quoted Valerie, the caseworker, as saying she thought there could be an, quote-unquote, evil influence upon the family. The nurse said it was kind of demonic, and he also thought the boy was (laughs) mentally ill. Valerie said it was an evil influence. 
So Latoya stayed that night at the hospital with the seven-year-old, and Rosa took the other boy and the 12-year-old girl to stay at a family member's house for the night. The next day was the seven-year-old's birthday. So Valerie, the caseworker, had Rosa bring the other kids back that day. They figured Valerie just wanted to talk more about what was going on, so they had a little cake and celebrated the boy's eighth birthday the best that they could. But when it was time for Rosa to leave with the other two children, Valerie told Latoya that the kids would not be going home. DCS viewed this situation as an emergency, and that allowed them to take the kids into protective custody without a court order. Oh, God. Valerie put in her report that all of the children were experiencing emotional and spiritual distress. This is when the chaplain of the hospital got in contact with Reverend Michael Maginot. I think it's Maginot. Michael was a priest at St. Stephen Martyr Parish in Merrillville, Indiana, and he had been for over 10 years. The chaplain asked the priest to perform an exorcism on Latoya's nine-year-old boy, and he was like, he was taken aback. He had never done anything along those lines before, but he agreed to meet with the family that following Sunday, and he did. He said at first he wanted to rule out anything natural that could have been causing the issues. So he visited the family's house. Latoya and Rosa sat and talked with him for hours, detailing everything that had gone on since they moved in. At one point, Rosa pointed out that the bathroom light was flickering on and off while they were sitting there. The priest would get up to go check it out and it would stop every time. Rosa also pointed out that the Venetian blinds were moving without any air current. That's not very convincing to me. Blinds, you know. And the priest also stated that he saw wet footprints on the floor as well. Latoya said that she had a headache, so the priest held a cross over her head and she began to convulse. So the priest was like, that's it. You got demons and Mm -hmm. you got some ghosts, he said. You got demons, you got ghosts. All of that was enough to convince him. So he blessed the house before he left, he prayed, and he sprinkled holy water in every room, and he told Latoya and Rosa that they weren't safe there, they needed to leave. They ended up packing up and going to stay with a relative. Now remember, the kids are still in DCS custody at this point, so they don't have the kids. But a little under a week later, they had to come back to the house because the DCS caseworker needed to get inside to check out the conditions. Oh, God. Okay. Valerie, she asked a cop to come with her. I'm not sure if that's protocol. I don't think it is, but... I think she was scared. I would have been scared if I saw a demon boy crawl up a wall. Mm -hmm. But when the precinct got wind of all of this, a few other cops decided to join in the visit just because they were curious. They were nosy. Mm -hmm. They were looky-loos. They were nosy little nerds. Nosy little Nellies. (laughs) (laughs) So Latoya and Rosa met them all at the house, and Latoya refused to step foot inside, but Rosa was willing. Well, because she was protected she by had her an angel. guardian angel. Yeah, Rosa yeah. had an angel. They all went inside. They started to check shit out. And they found that there was a dirt floor directly underneath the stairs with broken, jagged pieces of concrete around it. Okay. Rosa told the cops that's where she thought the demons were coming from. I don't know how Rosa knew that, but that's, yeah, how, that's how, what how, she Rosa? thought. They saw that altar in the basement that LaToya left there, which probably was not a good look for DCS. Yeah. I'm just saying... Um, Oh, no. They saw the salt rings that she poured around the basement walls. So these are all of the things that the Gary police chief noted while he was inside of the house. He said one of his officer's audio recorder's battery light started flashing, even though that cop replaced the batteries that day. 
He said that a different officer recorded some audio, and when he played it back later, he heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey, hey. Is that it? Just, hey. <laughs> yeah. wonder what they wanted. I don't know. Hey. Hey. I, w- I would have hey. been a little bit more afraid if it was, Hey. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> got any grapes? <laughs> I just got some grapes. <laughs> That same cop also took pictures inside the house, and in one of the photographs, there was a cloudy white fog in the upper right-hand corner. When they enlarged that photo, the cloud seemed to resemble a face. Mm. It also showed a second green image that they say looked like a female. The police chief said he took pictures with his phone, and they too seemed to reveal strange, foggy silhouettes. The radio in his police cruiser malfunctioned on the way home. When he got home, his garage door wouldn't open, even though it was in working order and the power was on. The driver's seat in his personal car started moving back and forward on its own. The police chief said that he believed in the supernatural and in ghosts, but he didn't believe in demons before this. After his personal experiences, he said that he found himself starting to believe that what was afflicting the Ammons family was real and it was something evil. But DCS and the mental health professionals working with the kids were sensing something completely different. What were they sensing? DCS petitioned for temporary wardship of the three kids in April of 2012, and the request was granted. That meant they weren't going home anytime soon. They needed more time to figure out what was going on while they weren't under their mother's influence or control. DCS found that LaToya was displaying signs of neglecting the kids by not having them in school regularly. Oh, no. And they found records of the same finding in 2009. So she couldn't really blame them not being in school. Like, she couldn't blame that on what was going on at the house because she had a history of not sending them to school before they even moved in there. DCS temporarily placed the 12-year-old girl and the older son at St. Joseph's Carmelite home in East Chicago. And the now 8-year-old boy, the youngest, he was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation. Seems like a good place for him. Mm -hmm. Stacy Wright was a psychologist at Christian Haven, and she evaluated the youngest boy. And according to her, the boy seemed to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In the doctor's evaluation, she wrote that he seemed coherent and logical except when he talked about demons. Then the boy's story started to become, quote, bizarre, fragmented, and illogical, the doctor said. His stories seemed to change every time he told them. He also liked to change the subject. He would start asking the doctor about, like, math problems or outer space and astronauts. The doctor's conclusion was that the boy did not suffer from a true psychotic condition. In her evaluation, Dr. Wright wrote, quote, This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced, end quote. The doctors evaluating the older children came to a very similar conclusion, but LaToya and all three of the kids kept insisting that they really were being possessed by demons. So, in order for LaToya to get her kids back in the home with her, DCS wanted her to find regular employment, find suitable housing. She was not to discuss demons or being possessed with the kids. She was to talk to them about taking personal responsibility for their actions. She was to find alternate forms of discipline not related to religion. But LaToya was given supervised visitations with the kids while DCS continued their investigation. 
Their investigation included another visit to the home. Now remember, LaToya and Rosa are not staying there. They're still living with a relative at this time. So LaToya, Rosa, the priest, the police chief, and two of the same cops who visited the first time met up at the haunted house again. This time, Valerie refused to come and she sent another DCS worker in her place. They headed down to the basement where they noticed this strange, sticky, slippery liquid leaking from the walls. The priest told the cops that he wanted them to check the dirt floor under the stairs for a pentagram or cursed objects or maybe a body was buried under there. Dear God. He was just going down the list. He said that if there's a pentagram, it could mean that there's a portal to hell under there. Oh, you know, just a little portal to hell. A small portal to no hell. No big deal. Yeah. So the cops started to dig under the stairs and they found a portal a, to hell. They found a pink press on nail. Oh, a pair of women's white underwear, a political pin, like a shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pot, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers and a heavy metal object that looked like the weight from a drapery cord. So the priest blessed some salt and he spread it underneath the stairs and in the basement. The caseworker that was there in Valerie's place was in the living room and she started complaining that her finger hurt. I <laughs> I don't know what this, if this has anything to do with a demon, but it was swelling. She didn't do anything to it, That's but weird. it started swelling and she said it felt broken. And then she went into a panic attack. Oh. Yeah. Every time the priest started to talk to Latoya, she would be thrown into fits of pain. So her and the caseworker went to wait outside. The caseworker said she had a bout of medical issues after visiting the Ammons house. A week later, she said that she got third degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand while she hit a table, then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. Once again, this just sounds like stuff that happens, but um, she said, quote, I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me. I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupt it. They wouldn't waste their time on me, end quote. Well, that was wow. the DCS caseworker, yeah. So the cops continued to check out the house, and on the main floor, they found that same strange liquid dripping from the Venetian blinds in a bedroom, but they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. It was, like, dripping out of nowhere. They wanted to make sure neither Latoya or Rosa had poured olive oil on the blinds. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, you know, Latoya and Rosa, that fucking olive oil. So they cleaned it up, the cops. They, they wiped okay. up that substance. They sealed the room for almost a half an hour, didn't let anybody in there, and when they went back in, it was back. Fuck! Yeah. This is all in the official police report. The priest told them that the liquid was a manifestation of a paranormal or demonic entity. Maginot wrote up his own report that detailed his findings, and he took it to Bishop Dale Melzak and he asked permission to perform an exorcism. Now, like I said before, they hadn't had to do exorcisms in this area in like forever. In Merrillville, Indiana. In Merrillville, Indiana. In the bishop's 25 odd years in his position, he never had to give permission to any of the priests to do an exorcism. It just wasn't a thing that they had any experience with. So the bishop told priest Maginot or father, whatever he is, that he should get in contact with these like several other priests that he knew had performed exorcisms in the past. When Father Maginot got in contact with the other priests, they told him that he should Google how to perform a minor exorcism. Oh, wow. I feel like I don't want to rely on Google for something like that. That's you know? a big deal. Oh, yeah. A minor one. They're doing a minor one first. Okay. 
So Father Maginot said that he did an intense blessing on the Ammon's house to expel the bad spirits. The same day, he performed minor exorcism rites on Latoya herself. It consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. While nothing too off the wall happened during this minor exorcism, the cops and the caseworker who were present said that they could feel like that feeling of someone breathing down your neck, you know? and just like a presence in the room that was not good. So after that minor like exorcism, Father Maginot told Latoya to Google the names, <laughs> I'm sorry, Google the names of the demons that were afflicting her. Yep. Yeah. He said each demon has a name and a personality. He wanted to use those names to cast the demons out in the real big like bad boy exorcism that he was about to do. He needed the names. I feel like, I don't know. Maybe you just don't Google that. How do you, I don't know how do you if find we can that? rely on Google for such a big task. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with you, Father. Father, forgive you. <sighs> so Latoya and one of her friends, they looked up demon names on the computer, but the computer kept shutting down on its own of course it while did. they were doing so. And Latoya said she felt sick and lightheaded while they were doing that. But... They found names to fit LaToya's narrative. I mean, demons. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, seemed to fit perfectly. She said that she also found names of demons that torture and hurt kids. It's the same thing with, I don't like, know. if you... It's, like, a proven thing. If you Google a question... When I was pregnant, I would say certain things, like... Is this normal? Yeah. And then it would be, you know what I mean? You like can get an it, article that tells you it is. You can get right. an article that tells you it right. isn't. You right, can right, get, right. you can find whatever right. you want. Whatever narrative you want to spin, you can find an article about it. Yeah. Latoya said that other high-ranking demons also were assigned to her, assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. I didn't Ooh. know they had ranks. They have ranks, honey. They they rank themselves in hell. Yep. So after that minor (laughs) ritual, Father Maginot said Bishop Melzak gave him permission to exorcise Latoya, like for real. So I guess this actual exorcism is supposed to be a lot more powerful because it's actually got the backing of the Catholic Church. I don't fucking know. So the priest actually performed three major exorcisms on Latoya, two in English and one in Latin, in June 2012 at his church in Merrillville. He praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against Latoya's head as he spoke, I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all your fell companions in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He got louder and louder as Latoya convulsed. Two of the cops who had been involved since the start were there at the church in case she needed to be restrained. And Latoya said she prayed with Father Maginot until it became too painful. She said it felt like something was inside of her trying to hold on and cause her pain. Not a natural pain, but it felt as intense as giving birth. And eventually she fell asleep. As one does. Or passed out. Whatever, you know. Yeah. Whatever. She was exhausted. My God, that's tiring, (laughs) expelling those demons. So the very last exorcism was in June of 2012, and this one was done in full Latin instead of English, so I guess it was better. Latoya convulsed again when Father Maginot condemns the demons, but she didn't convulse during prayer this time. I guess that's, that's a good sign. She eventually fell asleep again or passed out, and it was the last time she saw Father Maginot. 
Rosa took her back to Indianapolis, where they live now, and they're not in fear anymore. Things seem to be back to normal. Latoya regained custody of all three kids in November oh, wow. that year. Okay, yeah, November Good. 2012. And their DCS case was closed. Latoya's old home on Carolina Street became locally famous with all the looky-loos well, driving by. The owner and landlord said he had no problems before Latoya and her family moved in, and he hasn't had any problems since with any Jesus new tenants. Jesus Christ. He said, quote, I thought I heard it all. This was a new one to me. My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. He End would be quote. the skeptic in a yes, horror film. Like, how perfect is that? My belief system has a hard time jumping over that bridge. I yeah. feel that. Yeah. So the house. This is your surprise. Okay. You're going to shit a brick. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Guess who bought it? What does the name start with a D? No, you'll know it if I tell you what it starts with. <laughs> who? Zach Baggins. Fuck you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know what? That fucking joke. Of course <laughs> he did. Joke you of said. Of course <laughs> he did. You got that fucking joke. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures bought the house oh in 2012 God. and he had it demolished in 2016 and he filmed the demolition for his documentary called Demon House. Oh. So if anybody's seen that, that's why Demon I was saying. House. <laughs> you probably I'm going to mic some money off of these people's terror. <laughs> My name is Zach Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking loser. God. Oh, I knew you were going to hate that. I hate so him much. so much. <laughs> People terror. <laughs> the story that I'm doing takes place in germany okay okay i have an incredibly raw real and unfiltered fucking american accent okay <laughs> we're from the midwest we're from right? the midwest don't you know <laughs> so i actually listened to someone who is german mm -hmm. talk about this case and she i'm gonna totally butcher this but she pronounces her name annalisa michel only okay. there's like a little like Little thing that you cool can't do. Cool sounding thing. Like yeah, way in the back I, of your throat. Yeah, I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. But then I listen to a lot of people who are from the USA talk about her. And they pronounce her name Annalise Michelle. Since I won't be able to do the actual pronunciation justice, mm -hmm. I will just go by the Annalise Michelle. Okay. Okay. No one's going to fault you. And if they I, do, fuck them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. like I just wrapped you in a warm blanket. Yes, thank you. made everything all thank right. Thank you, Mommy. So with all of that being said, I will probably say her name multiple different ways because I have been researching so hard on how to say it the right way and then I've heard the wrong way. So I'm just going to say what comes out. Okay. So Annalisa was born on September 21st, 1952 in West Germany. She was baptized the next day, a testament, with no pun intended, to her parents' very strong, at times incredibly overbearing, Catholic faith. So just a little bit about, like, her family background, okay? Her parents were Josef and Anna. Anna was born in 1920 and went to secondary school for three years prior to working in her father's sawmill. And Yosef, before finding Anna and starting his family, was meant to be a priest. 
However, after being drafted into the war, he was taken prisoner, finally let go, he came home, and he decided instead of being a priest, he was going to be in charge of his family business. After all, three of his sisters were nuns, so there were definitely enough religious people in the family. Annalisa's oldest sister, Martha, passed away while having surgery to remove a tumor on her kidney at only age eight. Now, most sources say that Martha was not Yosef's baby. There's varying information about this, so I don't truly know, but it's said that Anna had Martha with another man. Okay. Okay, so she was born out of wedlock. And just know that Martha was the very first baby born, so it was Annalisa's oldest sister, Mm -hmm. and she ended up passing away. What we do know for sure is that she could not be buried in the family grave due to being born out of wedlock. (sighs) But instead, she was forced to be buried by a cemetery wall by herself. I hate religion sometimes. Isn't that such bullshit? Wow. For what? Such bullshit. A baby, an eight-year-old. Ugh, I hate that for That's evil to me. I'm sorry. Right. You have... Oh, I can't even get into it. It just pisses me off. So as I said, Yosef and Anna marry. They have their babies. Martha passes away, sadly. Now let's speak about who this story is truly all about. Annalisa was known to be a caring little girl. She was analytical and direct. She was incredibly intelligent. She spoke multiple languages, including Latin. She would practice Latin phrases from a book and like time herself Mm -hmm. while she was saying the phrases to see how quickly she could recite the phrases. Oh, wow. She also enjoyed playing the piano and singing. And later on, she enjoyed playing tennis. It helped relax her. She was just an incredibly happy and beautiful little girl. She was very shy around people that she wasn't close to. She was often teased by children in school. She was also considered to be an incredibly ill child. All before the age of five years old, she had already contracted mumps, measles, and scarlet fever. Oh, wow. By five years old. Wow. Thank God for vaccinations. But don't worry, because it just gets a lot worse. Okay. So as I said, this family is incredibly religious, Catholic. They went to church not only on Sundays, but also multiple times a week, sometimes daily at Mm -hmm. some points, depending on the season, Mm -hmm. what was going on in both their lives and the church, yada, yada. It was really like the basis and foundation of their family, and their lives just totally revolved around it. Let's talk about September of 1968. Annalisa is sitting next to her friend Marie Louise when she loses consciousness. At first, both of the girls are kind of like, what? just happened like Mary Louise is very scared but then after Annalisa comes back she's thinking it was just because she was overtired Mm -hmm. all is well the rest of the day goes on she's fine she goes to bed but then in the middle of the night just after midnight Annalisa is laying in bed and she wakes up totally without the ability to move Mm. she feels like she was being pinned down and whatever was restricting her to the bed wouldn't let her up Have you ever had sleep paralysis? That's what that fucking feels like. Yeah. She said the force pressed on her stomach and she ended up with a very warm sensation pooling around her, Mm -hmm. her urine. She was breathing heavily. Her tongue felt like it was swollen and paralyzed. Her sister was in the room with her, sleeping only just feet away from her, Mm -hmm. but she couldn't even speak to get her attention. It lasted only a few minutes and the entire ordeal was over. She stripped the linen from the bed and went back to sleep, terrified. The next morning, she was still so shaken up and way overtired, so she stayed home from school, and she told her mother about what happened. 
It's unknown really what her mother's reaction was to this, but we just know that she didn't go to a doctor. They just kind of moved on with their life and everything seemed to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. But yes, so sleep paralysis is definitely what she was experiencing there along with maybe some type of seizure. They weren't really sure when they looked back on it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've never had sleep paralysis before. I used to get it a lot more yeah. than I do now and it ha- started around that age actually. I remember you telling and me about that's it. That's what it is. You can't talk cuz I didn't know what it was when I was of really young you like that. It was terrifying. I lived in that old house and I'm like this is a fucking ghost. Yeah. Right. Like, this is not right. I couldn't talk. I tried to scream. You can't scream. It's scary. I bet. I but now that I know what it, what it is and mm-hmm. you know why it happens then There's like an entire documentary I think on Netflix about mm-hmm. it. I'm not watching it. I'm yeah. not because Sleep I will get paralysis. it. I'll have to deal. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll just happen. Then. It doesn't harm you. It'll, I know, but I don't want to be afraid. Well, you won't be if you know what it is. Yes, right? I will. I'll be terrified. <laughs> I can, I'll think I that can, I'll never um, get out of it. I can feel it coming now and I can make it, I can pull myself out of it. I can really? make, it, make it not fully come. I wonder how yeah. you do that. I just, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Hmm. Or at least everything went back normal for about a year. Just Mm -hmm. under a year, in fact. On August 24th of 1969, so just under a year, Mm -hmm. another blackout happened in the afternoon. She lost consciousness. It happened very quickly. She came back in the middle of the night. Another frightening, terrifying bout with what we believe now was sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she had no idea what it was at the time. She just knew it was fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. Her arms went stiff. She couldn't breathe normally. She wasn't able to scream for help. And it was over quickly. She changed and went back to sleep. Now, after this incident, Anna takes Annalisa to the doctor, their family physician, Dr. Gerard Vogt. Because these incidents were almost a year apart, medication wasn't even talked about. Medication, Mm -hmm. some of the medications that they would prescribe for something like this can be incredibly hard on your body. So I'm assuming, I guess I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that the physicians thought that since these incidents were so far apart, she might be better off not taking pills every day. Right. It's not like it's happening It wasn't affecting her daily life at this point. Right. However... Her primary care doctor did refer her to a neurologist named Dr. Luthi, who was in a city not far away. A bunch of tests ended up being conducted, but no major concerns were found neurologically within Annalisa. One of the tests that they did on her was with an EEG machine. An EEG, actually, you you get hooked up to it, right? Mm-hmm. And then it records the electrical activity of your brain using the electrodes that are hooking you to it. They show just like changes, dips and rises, peaks and valleys in your brain activity. And that most of the time is useful in diagnosing different types of brain disorders and brain conditions. Sure. Epilepsy being one of them. In order for the EEG machine to show the pattern that an epileptic would have going on, she would have needed to have the seizure right before she was being hooked up or while she was hooked up to this machine. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why nothing showed up. Right. Now, although nothing showed up, just by what Dr. Luthi was being told, he decided that she was more than likely having what was known as cerebral seizures with symptoms of grand mal epilepsy. No medications were prescribed by Dr. Luthi because of them being so far apart, like I said. It's also said after all of this was talked about and the appointments were over that Annalise's mother was worried about her plans to be a teacher. So it was kind of thought that her daughter was going to go to be a teacher and she thought that these plans would be soiled due to these medical issues she was having. Oh, wow. 
Hmm. She what was a, also what a conclusion. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay. She was also worried about what people would think if they found out that her daughter was having problems like this. Ugh. Stop yeah. it. Not long after her visit to Dr. Vogt and Dr. Luthi, she complained of a sore throat. She ended up having her tonsils removed, okay? And as a result of the tonsillectomy, she ended up contracting both a lung infection and tuberculosis. Oh, God. I don't know if she got tuberculosis as a direct result. Yeah. <laughs> but I would assume maybe the lung infection, like an infection could have yeah. happened for sure. Wow. She ended up getting so sick that she had to go to a clinic, which was also called a sanatorium. Mm-hmm in Middleburg that specialized in bronchial and lung infections. She was there from February 28th of 1970 until August of 1970. Wow. Yeah. After she was admitted to Middleburg, it was reported that she also had heart and circulatory problems. Mm. It's said that Annalisa spent much of her time while in Middleburg praying. She was mainly trying to sort out whether she should truly go on to become a teacher or if she should become a catechist. In one of the letters to her mother that she wrote, she said, quote, I will try to obtain the abitur even though before you came, I had come to the resolution not to pursue it, but to become a catechist. I can always do that if I don't exceed in obtaining the abitur. Perhaps I can better use my abilities and talents if I become a teacher. There are no accidents in life. It is all in the providence of God. So I have arranged things with the mother of God that I will become a catechist if I don't obtain the abitur. But in the case I obtain it, I will become a school teacher. Wow. Okay. This, so I don't believe that I'm saying the word abitur right. <laughs> but what it is, just for you fellow people who have no fucking clue what it is like I didn't know, it's the, it's basically like graduating. Like it's the award that you receive after you complete your secondary education. Okay. Now. What's a catechist? You might be wondering what the hell a catechist is. <laughs> That's what I had in my notes. It is basically like someone who teaches the mission work of the church by walking in faith and sharing in the faith. And I looked up a job description. It's a doozy. So I didn't know what a catechist was. I assumed it was something. It's, I, I might not be saying that right either. I assumed it was something to do with God. Yeah. Okay. I had looked it up and there was a job description, like a sample one. And the job title is Catechist for Elementary Religious Education Program. Okay. And the job description says, sharing in the mission work of the church by walking in faith and sharing in the faith, hmm. teaching the good news with the elementary school age children, building community with their families. Duties. Be prepared and prompt, 6.50 a.m., for weekly classes and programs. I'm out. Maintain presence before and after class to support, assist, communicate with other catechists and parents. Cooperate well with the rest of the ERE team. Establish communication with the family of the student with opening postcard and occasional letters, particularly if there is a continual absence. Prepare class for one holiday presentation. Seek to grow and learn with continuing education programs. The length of the commitment is at least one, but preferably two. We'd like for you to come back, you know. <laughs> I still don't know what a catechist... That told me nothing. That's it doesn't so really, vague. It doesn't really say, like, exactly <laughs> yeah. what the duties are. Like, that. <laughs> what do you do every yeah. day? You know what I mean? You hang out, write a letter sometimes. Fit every 15 you talk weeks. talk about God. Um, but yeah, so it's basically just somebody who I think is like more qualified, mm -hmm. who has studied the Bible, yeah. probably went to like seminary school or something like that. So you can tell that Annalisa like definitely, yes, she was Catholic. She grew mm -hmm. up Catholic, but something in her like changed. 
when she was in Middleburg. Mm -hmm. Here's another just little snippet of a letter that she wrote to her mother. Actually, I'm quite glad that I have been sick since one comes to see things. One comes to recognize that there are other values besides money, riches, and cars, which are worth living for. That one is on the earth for the glory of God and not for transitory things. You should consider this also sometimes. Hmm. Isn't that just like, it's, I don't know. And you'll see like as we go on. Yeah. She definitely changed while she was in here. It sounds like she, yeah, it sounds like she was telling her mom, like, you need to get with the program. I don't know. Maybe you're a little too, I don't know. So while she's in Middleburg, she befriends a young girl named Monica, and they actually become, like, longtime friends. Mm -hmm. Monica later said that she thought Annalisa to have a positive outlook on life and that she was happy. Even after Annalisa goes home, they stay in communication by writing each other letters. Now, while she was in the Middleburg Clinic slash sanatorium, she had another one of these sleep paralysis things. So this was the third time. Okay. It was in June of 1970. Roughly 13 days later, on June 16th of 1970, Annalise went to Kempton, Germany, which is in the southern region, and she saw a physician named Dr. Wolfgang von Haller. This physician also conducted another EEG. So this is like her second or third by now. It shows no abnormalities. However, this doctor prescribed Annalisa her very first anticonvulsant drug. So she starts taking the medication and six weeks later, she goes home from the Middleburg Clinic and right away, her sisters already notice a drastic change. It's said that her sisters noticed that she was moody and that her behavior was just different all around. Okay. She confided to her doctor, Dr. Luthi, in a follow-up visit in September of 1973 that she had started to see visions and faces, in particular something called Fratzen. It means basically like a very scary or frightening face. Okay. Okay. She said that they were demonic faces. She told Dr. Luthi that it happened often and that the devil was inside of her and she felt empty inside. Oh, She also said that a judgment of fire would be visited on everyone. That fall, she told another doctor, Dr. Lenner, that she smelled horrid stenches, and she described it as burning fecal matter. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. She was afraid and depressed, and she could not get the faces she was seeing out of her mind. Mm. Despite all of these things, she went back to school and started at grade 11, two years behind what she would have been due to all of the illnesses that she kept having. Mm -hmm. Annalisa was just totally changed, though. She was quiet. She withdrew from her friends. Her friend Marie later stated that, quote, After her illness, Annalisa was changed. She was quiet. She withdrew from her friends. I also noticed that she wanted to carry on mostly religious conversations, end quote. So, Annalisa felt sick all the time. Her mother brought her to a host of physicians. Like they were, it was just physician after physician, specialist after specialist. Another anti-convulsant drug was prescribed. She continued to have more episodes of blacking out and a lot more depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she was prescribed Dilantin, which is used to treat grand mal epilepsy and psychomotor seizures. That October, her blackouts and paralysis started happening more frequently, and she had another EEG that was normal. Next comes the knocking noises. No. Her mother didn't believe her, but she told her that she was hearing knocking like a... Incessant, like, rapping. Yeah. Okay. In her closet, under her floorboards, and in the ceiling. 
Her sisters at first said that they heard it too, but it's kind of unknown. Were they just saying that to make her feel better or did they really hear it? Her mother didn't believe her so much so that she brought her to a hearing specialist. Oh, gosh. Her hearing was fine. It's also said that she spoke to her parents about the demonic visions and the faces that were, like, plaguing her. Mm -hmm. Becoming more and more frequent, she confessed that she heard voices that were damning her to hell forever. Her mother said that she saw her standing before a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary with a face full of hatred and black eyes. She then contracted the German measles and graduated despite all of her absences. So she got the measles, but then she graduated. She wasn't in the mood to celebrate, one source said. No fucking shit. Yeah. I'm going to read you a quote from a book that I read about her. And this is her describing her state of mind. Quote, It was especially gruesome at the time of the aperture, so as we know now, like her graduation time. Oh, her potter, you cannot imagine that most awful dread. It is a terror which goes through all my limbs and settles there. It is a dread that makes you think you are right there in the middle of hell. You are totally, utterly deserted. You can call all you want for help, to the mother of God, maybe, but they are all death. I think that is how it must have been for our Savior on the Mount of Olives, where they say he was beset by the shudders of death. Although, I think for him it may have been worse, for, after all, he had taken all of the sins of all of the people on himself, all of the sins of the world. End quote. Hmm. That was from her describing her mindset. Wow. So over the next three years, Annalisa continues to spiral further and further, okay? She becomes more sick. She starts having even more severe hallucinations. Um, While she was praying, she said that she could hear voices in her head. They said that she would rot in hell. Ultimately, her depression worsened. And her time while in the clinic was not beneficial to her her overall well-being. Despite all of these things going wrong, she decides to take a pilgrimage to San Damiano. Supposedly, this is an incredibly popular trip that religious people take in order to see the Virgin Mary. Okay. And I don't... Did they see her? Sure. I suppose. (laughs) The leader of this pilgrimage was a woman named Tia Hines. Annalisa's father, Yosef, had been here before, and he had discussed Annalisa with Tia Hines about, like, her being unwell and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yosef had told Tia Hines that his daughter was not sick, but not healthy. Yosef and Anna believed that Annalisa will have a good time on the trip, But while she's there, she completely freaks the hell out over holy water. She starts screaming how it stinks, it stinks. Tia Hines is immediately triggered by this, obviously, Mm -hmm. and contacts priest. The priest conducts some kind of like well-being check on Annalisa, and they can't find anything to be wrong. It's also reported that there are burning feces smell and sometimes a sulfur smell coming from her. Okay. Aside from hating the holy water, she also cannot even walk into the church. It's said that her father even tries walking her around to the back of the church, which I don't know why that would help, but, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to enter there, but she just cannot go in without being in pure physical pain. This is a quote. Annalisa told me, and Frau Hein confirmed this, that she was unable to enter the shrine. She approached it with the greatest hesitation, then said that the soil burned like fire and she simply could not stand it. She then walked around the shrine in a wide arc and tried to approach it from the back. She looked at the people who were kneeling in the area surrounding the little garden, and it seemed to her that while praying, they were gnashing their teeth. Yikes. She got as far as the edge of the little garden, and then she had to turn back. Coming from the front again, she had to avert her gaze from the picture of Christ. She made it several times to the garden, but could not get past it. 
She also noted that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints. They sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it. So that's just one little incident, okay? Yeah. Annalisa comes home. She's still in pain. She's still Uh suffering from these delusions and these sleep paralysis attacks and seeing these demonic faces. But she somehow ends up still going to like what our version of college is. Mm -hmm. So she goes to school to be a teacher in Würzburg. She majored in education and theology. And it was there that she met a boy named Peter that she started seeing. However, quote, two weeks after they met, Annalisa told Peter that she couldn't see him anymore. She told him that there were times that she was very depressed and her body became stiff. She said she couldn't feel what he felt for her. It was hard for her to explain, but Peter was persistent. He suggested that there might be something a doctor could do for her. She was very interested in religion, whereas Peter hadn't been in church for several years, but they continued to discuss her problem, end quote. So Peter is trying to help her now, okay? They start kind of seeing each other and dating. She finally confesses a little bit to him, and he starts taking her to doctor appointments. Right. I'm going to read a little bit of a longer quote, okay? Okay. On November 27th of 1973, Peter took Annalisa to see Dr. Leonard, where she clearly outlined her condition. She was depressed, had no willpower, and couldn't listen or concentrate. She indicated that she liked Peter, but it would not be right to continue to see him, as she was unable to feel for him as she should. Dr. Leonard asked her a lot of questions about her relationship with her parents. He felt that she suffered from a case of neurosis caused by a domineering father and a mother whom she hated because she wasn't allowed to have any boyfriends. Okay. Based on Annalisa's description of her symptoms, Dr. Leonard suspected epilepsy as the cause of the seizures. He referred her to the University Neurological clinic. The next day, Annalisa went for another EEG. Dr. Ergman Schlepp, the academic director of the clinic, reported irregular patterns in the left temporal area of her brain. So this is the first time that they've seen something in an EEG. Okay. This has to be the third, fourth, fifth. It's This is multiple EEGs. Right. Now. And it's been years also in between here. Seeing this abnormal left temporal area, Dr. Schlepp switched her from the dilantin that she was originally put on to Tegretol. The catch here is that Tegretol can have very potentially like harmful side effects for people with heart or circulatory problems. Mm -hmm. And she was diagnosed with both. Yeah. But they gave it to her anyway. So since Tegretol affects the blood, you're supposed to be having regular checkups. Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting your blood drawn, testing the levels, things like that. At first, you're supposed to be getting it checked weekly for the first four weeks and then monthly for the first five months and then two to four times a year after that. But there's no evidence that any blood tests were ever taken on her. Why, I wonder. Yeah. Now I'm going on with the quote now. Annalisa told Dr. Schlepp of her homesickness for her family and that she couldn't feel for Peter the way she felt like she should. She also spoke of the nauseating stenches, which Dr. Schlepp thought were psychomotor seizures. Dr. Leonard diagnosed her ailments as psychological, and Dr. Schlepp diagnosed them as, as physiological. Okay. She didn't mention the demonic faces to either of them. Oh. So she was only talking about hmm. her, like, emotional yeah. types of things, right? Yeah. And maybe just some of, like, the, the seizure type of side effects mm. that she was having. 
The quote goes on to say that Peter tolerated Annalisa's depressed moods, which came and went unpredictably. They discussed religious matters, and Peter started going to church again. It was only in December of 1973 that Annalisa finally told Peter of the demonic faces and the stenches. Mm. Annalisa told Peter that perhaps the switch from Tegretol had helped. However, it did not help the horrible stenches, which came without any visible source. Her whole family could smell them now, so it wasn't just her. Okay. Her depression coincided with the stenches and the demonic faces. Peter suggested maybe she was hallucinating. Annalisa explained that when these things happened, she had no control over herself and that she had no say about anything. She struggled against this loss of control, but always lost. Peter suggested letting her make all of the decisions. Now, in November of 1973... After being on the Tegretol for just a little bit, she was also prescribed antipsychotic drugs, and she did take them frequently. But despite taking the neuroleptic medications, Annalisa's symptoms worsened, and she began to manifest, quote, growling, seeing demons, and throwing things, end quote. In 1975, Yosef and Anna initially asked for an exorcism for their daughter. So they're at the point now where they feel like they've gone all these different routes Mm -hmm. nothing is working it must be it has to be a demon inside of our daughter yosef and anna apply two times with two answers of no but eventually it's approved and a pastor and a priest are sent to the home to see if annalisa should have an exorcism pastor ernest alt and father arnold renz are the two who are sent to the home so you kind of talked about how there's minor exorcisms, there's major exorcisms. Mm-hmm. But first, what happened here was Bishop Joseph Stangle had to authorize the exorcism. At first, it was kind of touch and go. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, it said that the bishop had some letter from Annalise and he was holding it. And the letter said that she wanted to atone for the sins of others. So the bishop, Bishop Joseph Stangle, mm-hmm. ends up authorizing the exorcism. It said that then Pastor Alt had a vision while reading a, a different letter that Annalisa's family wrote. It said that he could clearly see the family, okay, before he had went to the house. Okay. And he took that as a sign that he should move forward with the exorcism. From reading the letter, he yeah. could picture the family? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, so can I. You're not special. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're right. Right? <laughs> God. Anyway. So they have a first, like, a, a, a trial exorcism is okay. what they call it. She breaks her rosary. And everyone's like, oh, up in arms. Oh, but God. a rosary is literally a piece of string with beads. Right. And like a, my child could probably break a rosary. Yeah. Does that mean she's possessed? She might be. Or were they upset because it was broken? No. I and think... it was because it's like a special thing. And, no, you know... no, no, no. I think it's because like that was just like one more little like oh, okay. check, you know. All right. Time goes on. The exorcisms continue. And her health and overall well-being completely decline. She started eating bugs biting the heads off of birds Mm. she urinated on herself it's reported that she drank her own urine oh no like licked it off the floor yeah no she sat underneath the kitchen table and barked like a dog when anyone got too close Mm. just completely went downhill yeah so all of the prior exorcisms that have been happening have all been minor exorcisms The major exorcism takes place on September 24th, 1975, after further approval from the bishop. Okay. After the second major exorcism, because there's more than one, they start recording audio. Okay. 
This is where I typically nope the fuck out of here because exorcism scared the... I mean, if you guys don't know by now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exorcisms scare the absolute living shit out of me. This entire episode has been hard for me. The research was fucking hard. But when I heard the audio, I had to turn it off. Yeah. I couldn't listen to it. I've never heard real audio from an exorcism just like move you know yeah, movies sure. and shit sure well it sounds like that yeah the demons tell the pri- during one of the major ones mm-hmm. during one of the major exorcisms the demons tell the priest and the pastor that annalisa is being possessed due to a curse that was placed on her before she was born mm. supposedly an old neighbor of her mother's cursed her for having Martha out of wedlock. Oh my god. Also, Annalisa is supposed to suffer to save others from eternal damnation. Dismissive wanking gesture. (laughs) They ask the demons to identify themselves during one of the major exorcisms. They then compel the demons using the power of Christ to leave the human body. There was a lot of demons in her, Mm. reportedly. Mm -hmm. A few of them were Cain, Hitler, Fleshman, Judas, and Lucifer. Mm. Judas betrayed Jesus in the Bible. Hitler was Hitler. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, they were some pretty fucking awful yeah, demons that inside of her. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play the audio. All right. This, <laughs> you guys, maybe you guys don't get terrified the way I do. I don't even know if I'm going to listen to it right now. Well, how are you going to play but it? But I'm going to play it for all of you. All right. Like, obviously, she's talking in a bunch of different languages Mm -hmm. at that point, so you can't tell what she's saying, but you get the drift. Yeah. Okay. So, in the midst of all of this, she's writing in a diary, not during the exorcism, probably, but just Mm -hmm. in her normal life, because there are periods of regular behavior between exorcisms. In one of the diary entries, she talks about losing hope and that she can feel herself slipping further and further away. 
Quote, on one occasion, Father Renz brought in three unmarked glasses of water. One contained holy water, one water from San Damiano, and the other one had tap water. When Annalisa picked up the water from San Damiano, she stated, quote, San Damiano shit water and put it aside. She then only drank the tap water, end mm. quote. What was really odd to me was that there was a lot of periods of regular behavior, or as regular as Annalisa could be mm-hmm. at that point. This went on for a long time, nine months of wow. exorcisms, okay? And she was still doing things at first. She was going to school, living her life, dating Peter. There were many, many things that she would do that you wouldn't think she was doing. Yeah. Hmm. Obviously, she got to the point where she was sick and couldn't do anything. But at first, it was like, wake up, hang out, exercise demons, go to bed, repeat. Hmm. And this lasted for nine months. Annalisa is undergoing exorcism after exorcism for nine months, a total of 67 sessions. Wow. Starting on March 3rd of 1976, she totally stops eating because she said that that is what the demon said she was supposed to do, stop Mm. eating. In April, she could no longer leave her bed. She started self-harming frequently, biting, hitting, scratching, etc. These are three quotes from her. I am trying to weaken the demons. The demons won't let me eat. I'm free for the moment. Please feed me. I'm starving. Oh, wow. On June 30th, 1976, the final exorcism is performed. She turned to her mother and said, quote, Mother, I'm afraid, end quote. She begged the priest for the sacrament for the dying, and she died the next day on July 1st at the age of 23. The official coroner's report declared she died of dehydration and malnutrition, and she weighed only 68 pounds at the time of her death. Most children between the ages of 7 and 12 weigh that much. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how the doctor that Peter brought her to mentioned something about the temporal lobe? Mm -hmm. These are some of the symptoms, okay? Sensations such as deja vu, amnesia of a single memory or other memories, a sudden sense of unprovoked fear, anxiety, nausea, auditory and visual hallucinations, dissociation, derealization, synesthesia, which is stimulation of one sense experienced in a second sense, and dysphoric or euphoric feelings, fear, anger, other emotions, often the patient can't understand or describe. Mm -hmm. Olfactory hallucinations often seem indescribable to patients beyond pleasant and unpleasant. She had almost all of those things. Yep, she did. And it just is so upsetting to me that it kept being ignored. Mm Mm-hmm. Because her parents weren't getting the answer that she had a demon inside of her. Right. Until they talked to their religious people. They were so sure. But she had all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy to me. All of these things. And then plus the medication on top of it. Right. The medication that interfered with her blood circulation. Yeah. That was already, there was something messed up with that. Mm Mm-hmm. On top of mental illness, depression. Yeah. Possibly schizophrenia, which other reports have said. Yeah. Which can cause all of those things too. Exactly. So let's talk about the crime that was committed here. Okay. All four adults who decided to let a woman starve to death were charged with negligent homicide. There were trials for all four of them. The defense argued that Annalisa was possessed and the adults did what they needed to do in order to exercise the demons. In February of 1978, Yosef and Anna had Annalisa's body exhumed. They wanted to move her body to a nicer coffin, they said. However, it was later reported that a nun had told them that Annalisa had come to her in a dream and said her body was still intact and there was no decomp. So thinking that that would prove 
that she was clearly possessed. Right. And there was like other forces, other worldly forces at play. Yeah, yeah. They had her exhumed under the false notion that they wanted to move her to a different coffin. Okay. So they exhumed her. And it was proven that there was definitely fucking decomposition because that's what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. And the nun was wrong. What do you know, Joe? On March 30th of 1978, the trial actually began. The defense maintained that she was possessed and the prosecution brought in doctors and specialists up the ass trying to prove that this girl was mentally ill. Yeah. The parents and priests ended up turning on each other. (laughs) What do you know? hmm. The parents said they trusted these priests and the priests blamed the parents saying they were, the parents were responsible to make sure their daughter was getting medical attention if necessary. It was just a big shit show. Yeah. The four adults, so the priest and pastor or two priests, whatever the, that they, their titles were, mm-hmm. and the mom and dad were found guilty of the charge of negligent homicide. All is well. Justice is served. Wrong. Because the prosecution requested that the priests be fined instead of go to jail. Oh, of course. Why, asked, would, why would a priest ever have to pay God for fucking forbid. shit? forbid. They'll just get it out of the <sighs> offering. <laughs> oh, it's infuriating. They asked that the parents be found guilty, of course, mm-hmm. but no time behind bars because they have, quote, suffered far enough through the death of their child, end quote. On April 21st of 1978, the four are sentenced to six months in prison, but instead of serving six months in prison, they just serve three years of probation. Oh, why not? The judge claimed that these four adults had reduced liability due to their religious beliefs. Okay. Isn't that fucking okay. maddening? So you can get away with I was trying to look homicide this up. Yeah. because you... Because you believe in God and you are Catholic. I was trying to look this up, like if it's still a thing and like where, yeah. how it pertains, I but... Never every time heard that outside of this case. No, no. And every time I was trying to look it up, it wasn't going to like what I wanted it to go to. Okay. So if anyone knows anything about it, let me know. Yeah. But I would think that this is like not a thing anymore. I would hope not. There's freedom of religion. But right, there's not freedom different. of religion to Can kill someone. Can you still someone. use it as a crutch when you commit a crime? Right. Aside from the reduced liability due to the religious beliefs, the judge also said that the fact that they were believing that she had demons and was possessed meant that it was mitigating circumstance. And if you don't know, mitigating circumstance is essentially evidence that is presented to the court in regards to the defendant on trial. Okay. This evidence potentially results in reduced charges or a lesser sentence overall. I don't think that they are a danger to society or anybody else. No, I don't think maybe they're other children. But, well, yeah, true. But they just fucking accepted that as fact and well, didn't yeah. get her any more help and or listen. They or- still neglected yeah and she was a woman in her 20s but they watched her die yeah there was a statement that her mother said after all of this and it says quote i know that we did the right thing because i saw the sign of christ in her hands she died to save lost souls to atone for their sins end quote no she didn't no she didn't she died because she was starved that's why she died yep But it's these people just all just believed that. And they took, and yes, she was saying that she believed that she should die for other people's sins. Mm. But she was not in her right mind. Right. In 2016, sexual abuse allegations, surprise, surprise, Mm. towards both Father Renz and Father Alt were made. You know. And these are the priests who who were with and working with Annalisa uh, for nine months. What do you know? Part of me really wondered if she was having trauma and that is why she couldn't be with peter Mm -hmm. and love peter right the moment that i read that i was like i wonder if she was 
being sexually abused. Right. Because that is absolutely something. There's so many reports of this. Right. And they feel like they are not enough for someone or they feel like they can't give their all to someone because someone else is hurting them. Mm -hmm. So obviously I don't know. But when I read after, I was already having those thoughts. And then when I had concluded my research and I was looking up more about the conclusion and what happened to all of these people after that. Yeah. And I read that those just a few years ago, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, directly correlating is Mm -hmm. what it seems like to me. Yeah. But obviously I don't know that for sure. And she's not here to make any kind of allegations against them. But let's look at the church's track record. I mean, come on. I also really feel like something happened to her when she was in Middleburg. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, she was was a Christian and she was, you know, into church and into all of those types of things before she went. But her family, her sisters, her best friends, they all say she was so different when she got back. Her entire being just Mm -hmm. flipped. Yeah, she started only talking about religion. Yeah. All of these mental health issues amplified because... I feel like she had some depressive, like, issues before, mm-hmm. but it was nowhere near that magnitude. Right. And right. it's true that if you just let mental illnesses go on without helping, mm-hmm. without medication, without talking to someone, they're going to worse, and that's only right. natural. But it amplified so quick, yeah. so fast, that it just leads me to believe that something happened to her in Middleburg. Yeah. I don't yeah. know for sure. I don't know. I'm not a professional, but I did read a book. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Requiem were both heavily inspired movies did by see, Annalisa's life. Did you see Emily Rose? That I nev- maybe a long time ago, but it's been one. a long yeah. time. I mean, it's your standard. You've if you've seen an exorcism movie, you sure, know, they're sure one and the same. Typically, it was good. But yeah, but that's that so is sad. that is the heartbreaking gut-wrenching poor girl terrible. and you could tell she was just so bright and yes wanted to do things with her life she was so excited about mm-hmm. life she loved it she was so intelligent yeah so many different languages she so many different sports so many mu- musical instruments mm-hmm. friends yeah you know what i mean such a caring person yeah and had such a bright outlook on life mm-hmm. and then just something happened to her, her. yeah Either something really big happened to her when she was in Middleburg, or it was just the culmination of the temporal frontal lobe, mm-hmm. things that were going on that weren't being treated by the right drugs, mm-hmm. the drugs that she was prescribed that were having an adverse reaction, or her mental illness, or a combination of all of it. Yeah, and plus the religion, her mm-hmm. being just... Overly religious. Yeah. And the and I have no problem. My mother is a pastor. Right. But yeah. the thing is, you have to be able to see outside of that sometimes. Yeah. And understand well, that that is not the end all be all. Yeah. And what I'm saying you is. You can't have blinders on. She was immersed in it from the time she was born. She was baptized the day after she was multiple born. Multiple times a week. So if things are going, you know, things go wrong for her in her head, whatever happened to her, whatever it was. That's what's going to come out. Don't you, like, don't you think? Right, right, absolutely. That's what, it's what she knew the most about. It's what she was, like I said, immersed in. Right. Her whole life, so. Right. I don't know. Just sad. I feel like there's a place for religion. There's a place for not being religious. But there's mm-hmm. a there's definitely a place for therapy and medication. Oh, yeah. And time. Yeah. And understanding. And families fucking supporting each other. Yeah. 
and you know we're both big advocates for mental health Mm -hmm. you know what i mean for mental health awareness and it just crushes my fucking soul that no one could help this girl Mm -hmm. and the people who did say you know no this isn't this and no this isn't this and these doctors who did say you know this is what i think it is we're just all shot down right but the minute that the bishop and the priest and the pastor walked in yeah they she just took their word immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And religion and yeah, like you said, faith, it helps people cope with right. things. It's, it's, it does very good things for a lot of people. Right. But it's, it's not an, it isn't it's the, not a substitute. No. Your, your pastor, your priest is not a mental health professional. No. Right. But yeah, so that is the sad exorcism cases. I mean, at least your people didn't die, but still right. they went through a fucking traumatic experience. Yeah. What a wild ride. It's wild. Bad. Are you reading, watching, or listening to anything? That I am. Yes, I'm happy for you. I think I talked last week how I finished the two books. Did I say that on last yeah. episode? Yeah, you did. Okay. You told me their ratings. Oh, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I am now reading, well, I read the book for my research called Annalisa Michelle, A True Story of a Case of Demonic Possession. I did not realize until halfway through reading this that it's by a father. Oh, is it? And somebody else. Yeah. And so there it's were definitely, good facts in it, though. There were you know. really, really, really great facts and quotes mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have been able to get anywhere else. Right. Um, but towards the end of this book, it talks a lot about sacraments of the church yeah. and like, um, the different like things that the demons were saying and. Mm-hmm. Um, why Anna Annalisa died, and the the fact that she died to atone, oh, like all yeah. of that kind of stuff, and that mm-hmm. wasn't I didn't want any of that. Mm-hmm. But so I read that. It was a really short book. It was like less than 150 pages. Yeah. But the beginning and like getting all of her family life and the background and all of that mm-hmm. and some of the quotes and the stuff about Peter and the doctors, that mm-hmm. all came from there. Yeah. There was yeah. only like three or four websites that I used because it all came from the book. But I was very careful to only use like the facts and not the opinions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I am also reading The Night Swim by Megan Golden and Desert Rose by Kay Moore. Oh, Yeah. Which Let me is, know how that is. Yeah, I'm getting prepared for her new book that's coming out. All for this Mother. This fall sometime, yeah. I can't, I think it's in November or is it? In is it, is it this it's year? It's soon. Yeah. I know it's soon. I am listening to, uh, I found a new podcast that probably isn't new to other people, but it's called Fresh Hell. Okay. Have you ever heard of that one? I think I might have heard of it, but I don't know what it they is. They covered Annalisa's case too. Okay. It's been a long time, I think. That was probably yeah. one of the earlier ones. Um. But I believe that one of the women is from Germany or somewhere over near Germany. Mm-hmm. So she said everything perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> she could say all of it. And just the way that she was pronouncing things. Was she just, had the upper it was, hand. It was blowing me away. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they co- they did a really great job, too. But I've listened to a few of their other episodes, too. I just love it. Um, and that's called Fresh Hell. And I am watching, I'm like very slowly, oh, <laughs> that mm. one. I'm, I started Bly, The Haunting of Bly Manor or the or Bly Manor or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on episode five or six. It's really oh. good so far. I don't find it nearly as like hauntingly scary, spooky as The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. But it's good. 
And I watched a couple episodes of Criminal Minds. Hey, and you're you proud were in, of me. Like a little bit enjoying that. I right? was enjoying it a little bit. Yeah, I really liked the little like sexual tension between those two characters, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know their names. I don't know anyone's names. But... Garcia and Morgan, you they go. don't ever get together. They're just really, really good friends. Aww, yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> They're just like say we're good friends. They're just good guys. friends. Okay. Um. But yeah, I watched a couple actually for research for a book. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, what are you reading, watching, listening? Now that we're at three hours and twenty minutes before <laughs> editing, um, not a whole lot really. No, I finished the housekeeper, and then I got here today, and I had a book surprise that Miss Christina Hart sent us. Signed yes. copies of her recent release, The Gorgeous Slaughter, and it really is gorgeous, you guys. Yeah, this cover is really pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. I'm very excited. I didn't even know I was getting one, and I'm just so happy. Yes. Um, I mean, I had to buy my copy. Katie <laughs> didn't I have got to buy hers. Free. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Thank but you, Christina, so freaking, but, so just yes. so good. Yes. And I only read, I read the first few pages, mm-hmm. but I'm excited because I wanted to read it in paperback, yeah. and I wanted yeah. to be able to have it for pictures on yes, my shelf. Because it's so. a pretty book. It really is. Um, and it's a psych thriller. I'm all for an indie psych thriller. Absolutely. I'll support the shit out of that. Listening to, I've listened to a few more episodes of Full Body Chills. I have not had much time lately. Things have just been rough. But um, there's also a new podcast. It's called the United States of Murder Podcast. And I actually, one of the hosts, Lacey's, makes all my stickers. She made my Hot for Hole sticker, my Paul Hole sticker. A few of the other ones on my laptop. I just ordered more, too. But um, that's a newer one. Go check that out. So they do lesser-known cases in, like, they go state by state. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy them. They're very thorough. Yes. They know they know their shit, you guys, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, so that's a good new podcast in case anybody's looking for one. What else? Watching. Nothing. I have not turned my TV on. No. In in a week. So my husband's watching. <laughs> I'm just, just this is going to be the weekly update of what my husband's watching from <laughs> now on. He is watching Band of Brothers. Yeah, and that's about it. A real quick shout out to all of our beautiful Patreons: Katie, KT, Juan, Danielle, Maggie, Chastity, Autumn, Crystal, Leslie, Tara, J R, Rogue, Angela, Chloe, and Cat. Thank you so hey. much for all of your support. We appreciate you. We love you. We see you. We really enjoy fucking talking to you in the group. And we love how much you guys talk in that group because yes. we just, I love seeing all of your posts yes. too. And we hope that you guys are enjoying the extra, extra content stuff on the Patreon page this month. Yeah. All right, guys, you can find our Patreon page in our link tree on Instagram at cruel and unusual the pod. You can send us an email at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. I tweet at cruelunusualpod. And that Facebook group we're always talking about is cruelandunusual colon the group. So come join us. It doesn't have to be weird. Don't make it weird. Just come in. Just slip right in between the cracks. <laughs> of <Slip>. my butt. <laughs> <laughs> like a credit card. No. Um, do you ever pull hairs out of your butt crack when you're showering? All the time. Yeah. All right. I'm glad that we cleared that up. (laughs) Guys, we have to fucking go. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.